right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks so much for uh, being here. Good to be together with you. We're continuing the series called uh, Awesome. This is week number two. We're talking about uh, the most important relationships in our, in our life. And uh, before I get going, I'll just tell you a little bit about uh, an opportunity, a relational opportunity coming up in two weeks. It's Mother's Day weekend, and we're going to have just a big celebration here and honor all the moms and all the women who uh, support and love and nurture us. We're going to have gifts and treats. It's going to be a great weekend, so we hope that you will uh, be here and join us for that. And since, um, you know, we're talking about relationships, and relationships are so important to all of us, maybe you're going to want to do a little extra study. Maybe you're going to want to uh, dig further into these subjects that we're talking about in this series. And so I want to highlight uh, a resource. It's called Right Now um, Media. And uh, if you go there, there's an insert in the program, give you instructions if you're not signed up how to do that. If you go there, you can go to the River Glen Library, and you can see we've got several resources here that uh, relate to the subjects that we're talking about to help you develop awesome uh, relationships. It's a great resource, kind of like Netflix, but it's a free gift to you. And, and you'll also notice here, I think we've got some, yeah, resources on dating, because uh, d- dating is very difficult. And uh, today... We're talking about dating. I mean, is there anything more awkward in the world than dating? And I know some of you here are really, really smooth at dating. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're good at, at dating. Uh, I fit more into the awkward camp. I, I fit more into the uh, awkward camp. I didn't really date a lot in high school. I dated one girl. Her name was Linda. We dated for about a year and a half before I went away to college, and uh, we intended to keep the relationship, the dating relationship, even though it would be long distance. And so I moved to college in central Illinois, you know, no cell phone, no texting, no email, no car, and so I wasn't able to come home very often. And we drifted apart that, that first semester. Plus, I met this cute and smart freshman girl named Marnie. Yeah, we started hanging out. We started sitting next to each other in class. We studied together. We played ping pong and just kind of hung out together. And I was spending more time with her, thinking about Marnie, developing stronger feelings, strong feelings for Marnie. I needed to have a conversation with Linda, but all of a sudden, I get this phone call from Linda. She surprised me for my birthday. She bought a train ticket to come and visit me in college. I'm like, oh, no. This is bad. I started sweating. What am I going to do? And so Linda arrives, and we hang out in the student lounge. And, of course, guess who comes into the student lounge? Marnie. And so I introduced Linda to Marnie, which was awkward. And then I couldn't think of what to say or standing there or, or to do. And I grabbed a deck of cards, and the three of us sat down and played a game, which was even more awkward. I just dug the hole deeper. I was really bad at dating, and I'm grateful I got through that stage of life, and that's all I want to say about that. (laughs) All right. Today, we continue this series. Uh, We're talking about what God says about our most important relationships and how to make them awesome, and today we're talking about finding an awesome uh, mate. Now, I think some of you are tempted to tune me out, not because of my bad dating skills, but because... I've been married longer than some of you have been alive. And some of you are thinking, Ben is so old. I mean, how could you know anything about what it's like to be, to be single today? How could you know anything about what it's like 
to be dating today? And you know what? That's a fair question. And I'm going to need to ask for some extra grace from you today. But on the other hand, I do know what it's like to find an awesome mate. And I do know firsthand the benefits of applying these principles uh, into this area of, of my life. Now, others of you may be tempted to tune me out um, because here's what you're thinking. You know, I, 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 my life's awesome right now. I don't want to find an awesome mate. And you know what? If that's you, awesome. Uh, that's fine. The Bible actually agrees with you. You know, take a look here at this scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, I wish that all of you were as, were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Paul says some people have the gift of singleness. And uh, some people enjoy singleness. And you know what? It's, it's actually better for you to stay single rather than get married. In fact, Paul himself had this gift. Paul was single. And I wonder if Paul ever heard, you know, some of the awkward things that people say uh, to single people. Things like, so, Paul, are you seeing anybody? I wonder if, uh, you know, Peter and John ever came walking alongside him and said, hey, Paul, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. I don't know. But sometimes in churches, I don't, I don't, I don't think we... I think we mean well, but sometimes we, we say things to single people that makes them feel less than, like something's missing, like there's something incomplete in their life. You know, before I moved up here to Plant River Glen, I worked for a church in Kentucky, and there was a, a, a Sunday school class uh, for, for adults in that church, and here was the name of the class, Pears and Spares. Yeah, you know, now I know, I know what they meant, married and single, but who wants to be known as a spare? You know, you're just kind of in waiting. You're just kind of on hold. You're, you're on standby. Sometimes we talk about singleness in church like it's a waiting room for, for marriage. You know, you're on hold until you get married. But the Apostle Paul calls singleness a gift. And so singleness is not junior varsity to the varsity of marriage. I mean, Jesus Christ was single and he was a perfect man. And so if you're here and you're single, I want you to know that in your current state, God finds you incredibly valuable. You're not on hold. You're not on standby. God wants to use you right now. You're, you're an integral part of this community because it's not marriage that makes you whole. Jesus makes you whole. Jesus makes us complete regardless of our marital status. And so if you're single, I'm not saying finding an awesome mate needs to must become the number one priority in your life. And if, you're, if you enjoy being single uh, and, and you say, I don't want an awesome mate, that's fine. Paul agrees with you. But I would encourage you to listen today because you know what? Things may change. And someday you might want to find an awesome mate. And if you're already married and you're thinking, you know, I don't need to hear this, listen, we're a family here. And you might be set right now, but somebody you know or love might really need your, your help and your friendship in this area. And so I encourage you to listen in. And you know what? The truth is that all of these principles that apply to finding an awesome mate, they also apply to the decisions that we make in our lives. And so I encourage everybody to stay tuned. Now, there's a lot of different categories uh, within the group of, uh, that we call singles. Some of you here, maybe you've never been married. Some of you maybe are divorced. Some 
are widowed. Some of you might be in your 20s, and for the first time in your life, you're being lumped into this group of, of singles. Whatever, so there are a lot of different categories for single people, but a big motivation for us doing this talk today is the fact that 80 to 85% of us will get married at some point in our life. 80 to 85%. That's the vast majority. And so with that many of us getting married, we don't want you to settle. I think I'm a pretty good catch. So why can't I meet the right guy? I've tried all the online dating apps like Tinder, OkCupid, and Match.com, but I want to get married now. That's why I joined the new online dating app, Settle. There's nothing wrong with the men on Settle. They're just normal guys with characteristics I am now willing to overlook. I already bought my wedding dress, so I just needed a groom. I joined Settle and went on tons of okay dates. That's how I met my Henry. He may drive a smart car, but he's a manager at Petco and even has a 401k. We're getting married in April, which is before my sister. Settle isn't misleading like those other dating apps. It's honest. For example, men are only allowed to upload their passport photos or ones of them pretending to hold the leading tower of Pisa. That way we can't focus on their looks. Hi. Sorry I'm late. I don't have a car. Whatever. And they're guaranteed a date because Settle won't allow us to swipe left. Because remember, it's not giving up, it's settling up. <laughs> Settle. Tick-tock. Would you like to have another glass of wine? Oh, no, thank you. I I'm usually in bed by now. Whatever you do, don't settle. Don't settle. So is there wisdom in God's word to help us find an awesome Mate. Well, you may not know this, but there's actually many love stories in the Bible, and uh, we're going to take a look at one of those. It's found in Genesis chapter 24. If you're following along, brought a Bible, or if you want to use the Bible in your chair back, just go ahead and turn all the way to the left to the beginning, the book of Genesis chapter 24. And this story, this love story begins with a couple by the name of Abraham and his wife Sarah. Now, if you know the story, God promises to bless Abraham with descendants, so many descendants that they'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You thought you had a big family. And his descendants are going to bless the entire world. But here's the problem. Abraham and Sarah only have a son named Isaac. And now Abraham's very old. And he's feeling concerned that God won't fulfill his promise because Isaac does not have a wife. And so here's what Abraham does. He said to his senior servant, he said to the senior servant in his household, uh, a man named Eliezer, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And so here's what Abraham does. He calls on his senior servant named Eliezer. Eliezer's like his right-hand man, like his, like his best friend. And he tells Eliezer to go and find a wife for his son, Isaac. And he gives him two criteria, specific criteria. Number one, she cannot be a, a Canaanite who worships a pagan god. 
Number two, she must be from my own country. In other words, she must love the same God as Abraham loves. And so Eliezer sets off on a journey, arrives at his destination. He comes to a watering well. And the first thing he does is pray. He realizes his mission of finding Isaac a wife is so important that he prays because he needs, needs God to guide him. He pray, the first thing he does is pray. That's not insignificant. He stands by this uh, watering well and he prays that God would, would, would identify the right woman for Isaac through a little sign. She would offer him water and also provide water for his camels. And so even before he finishes praying, a beautiful woman approaches the uh, well. Don't you wish it was always this easy? You know, just find a well. Step one, step two, say a prayer, and boom. You know, there she is, beautiful woman, done, married, uh, over. You guys could, some of you guys could go home, build a, build a well. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way for us. But, of course, Eliezer thinks she might be the one. Her name is Rebecca. And when Eliezer asks her for water, Rebecca goes above and beyond. And she gives him water, and she also provides water for his camels. And then Re Rebecca invites him to come and meet her family. And Eliezer takes her up on the offer. Eliezer meets Rebecca's family, and they totally hit it off. They have a blast, and he prays the entire time, feeling like she might be the one. But he, but he continues to pray, Lord, make this clear to me. Lord, make this known to me. And Eliezer explains to Rebecca's family what is going on. He says, the Lord has greatly blessed my master Abraham so that he has become rich. She's like, I'm in. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, and servants and maiden camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, has bore a son, Isaac, to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that, all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. And so Eliezer explains why he's here. And Rebecca and her family, they believe him. And they sense that God is in this. And so Rebecca agrees to go with Eliezer back to Abraham's house to meet Isaac. And here's my favorite part of the story. When Rebecca arrives and sees Isaac, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is that man walking in the fields to meet us? Now, I don't know. Maybe she said this with a little bit of sass. And maybe she pointed and said, who is that man? I don't know. But I love how there's an instant connection here. And it goes on in verse 67. Isaac took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. A beautiful ending. Now, all of us know that love stories don't always go this smoothly. It's not always this easy to find an awesome mate. But I think if we take a closer look at the story, we can draw out several bits of wisdom that we can apply to our lives today. First of all, look for someone who makes God number one. Look for somebody who makes God number one. It's interesting, Abraham gives Eliezer just one criteria for finding the right mate. And the criteria is not looks, it's not affluence, it's not intellect. He simply says, find someone who loves the same God that I love. And that is the starting point for finding an awesome mate. That is a beautiful starting point. Make sure you pick someone 
who, who, who makes God number one. Now, maybe you wonder, what does that look like today? You know, how, how, do, we, how do we find somebody who, 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 who does that uh, uh, today? Well, here at River Glen, we talk a lot about doing the three C's. We, we, you hear us talk about how we want to make everybody a 3C follower of Jesus. Maybe you've heard us talk about that on stage. Maybe you've seen that on the wall in the lobby. Maybe you've read about that in our publications. But maybe you don't know what that actually means. Well, here's what it looks like. Number one, does this person celebrate a relationship with God? In other words, is this person a part of a church where they gather to celebrate and grow their relationship with God. Does this person celebrate? Number two, does this person connect in relationships? Is this person living life on their own or have they matured to the point where they have connected with other people besides you who help them grow? That's why we talk a lot about small groups around here. We believe that circles are better than rows. And we've got, we've got small groups here, lots of small groups, small groups for everybody. We've got, if, you're, if you're single, we've got small groups for you. Stop by the Connect Wall in the lobby after the service. Somebody there will tell you more about those. Does this person connect? Number three, does this person contribute to the mission of Jesus in the, in the world? Is this person leveraging, is this person using their talents and their gifts and their resources to make a difference in the, in the world? Or is their world mostly about them? Now, these are important questions that are going to help you learn a lot about that person. And this is where I would set the bar. Find someone who does the three C's because that will give you a pretty good indication of how seriously they take their spiritual journey. And when you look for someone, it makes sense to look in places where you will actually find people who have already made God uh, number, number one. You know, we're, we're probably all familiar with the old uh, Johnny Lee song. You know, help, help me out here. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Right. Do you know where is a good place to look? Do you know where is a great place to look to find an awesome mate? Church. Yeah, because you're much more likely to find someone who makes God number one in a gathering of followers of Jesus. Now, some of you here today might be thinking, that all sounds good to me. You know, that's, that's, that's terrific. But it's too late for me because I've already married someone who doesn't make God number one. Maybe you're here and you're married, but you feel spiritually single. And that can be very difficult. But, but, but you make sure you stay committed to that marriage. This is a time to walk by faith with hope. And I want to encourage you because you know what? You've got a great opportunity. Your faithfulness can have a huge influence on your spouse. And so you love them. You pray for them consistently. And instead of looking for someone who makes God number one, you be the person. You be the one who makes God number one. I have seen entire families find their way to Jesus through one person, one spouse, one child, one friend. Be someone who drives a stake in the ground and makes God number one in your life. Because sometimes here's what, here's what happens. We can get so obsessed with finding the right one that we forget to be the right one. We get so focused on finding the right person who will meet my needs and the criteria. But what about the work that God wants to do in your heart? So the first bit of wisdom for finding an awesome mate is to look for someone who makes God number one. And here's the second bit of wisdom. Look uh, to people who love you 
for confirmation. If we go back to that love story in Genesis chapter 24, we find Isaac and Rebekah, I mean, they don't even date each other. As far as we can tell, back then, there was no such thing as dating. This was much more of an arranged marriage. The father, Abraham, sets the criteria. He decides what kind of woman would be best for his son. And he sends out his most trusted servant to find the right girl. Isaac never even meets Rebecca until Eliezer brings her home. It's interesting. Did you know this? That the practice of dating is really only a, a few hundred years old. And it's not really been highly successful to, for, for leading people into long-term relationships. The divorce rate was actually much lower when marriages were arranged by people who loved the bride and the groom. Now, you know, I'm not standing up here advocating for arranged marriages, but I do think there's wisdom in Scripture that tells you to look to people who love you for confirmation before you pick your mate. Here's why. Because love clouds our judgment. You know, when we're head over, over heels, I mean, we, we call it falling in love, right? It's like we trip over, over something. We get caught up in the emotion, and it affects and clouds our judgment. You know, all of us have a deep need to love and be loved. And sometimes we can let that need supersede making a wise decision. And so if you're a single person who wants to find an awesome mate, I want to urge you to have the humility and have the courage to go to people who love you the most and ask for their honest and genuine input. Go to your family if you're close to them. Go to, go to a friend who's known you for years and shares your values. Go to a spiritual mentor, maybe a small group leader or someone who has influenced you spiritually. Go to them long before the engagement and say, I'm about to make a really big decision and I need your most honest and candid feedback. I'm starting to get really serious in that relationship. And I want, I want to know, what do you think of us as a couple? Marnie and I continued dating through college, and our relationship got serious. My parents thought Marnie was great, but they didn't really know us as a couple. We dated in, 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 in Illinois, spent most of our time together in, in college. And I remember going to a couple spiritual mentors, a couple of college professors, and it was, a, it was a risk because I knew they weren't the kind of people that would just tell me what I wanted to hear. They'd tell me what I needed to hear, and they, they affirmed, they encouraged our relationship, which meant a lot to me. I came across this quote that I, think, that I think really nails it. I think this is something that all of us need. Find people who love you, who aren't cowards, and will speak the truth in love. All of us need these kind of people to, to help us make Wise decisions, especially about who to marry. See, here's the other part of this that makes this work, work. When family members or friends or people in your small group come to you and ask for your input on their relationship, you need to speak the truth in love. You, didn't, you don't get to make the decision for them, and other people may give counsel that differs from you, but in that role, you need to love, you need to, you need to prayerfully speak the truth in love. And then let them make the decision. One more suggestion before I leave this point. Another way to get confirmation is to make sure that you go through premarital counseling. I've worked with many couples and done many weddings. And I know planning a wedding is a very busy season of, of life. I get that. But premarital counseling is always worth your time. 
Don't make the mistake of spending more time preparing for the wedding than preparing for the marriage. The genius of premarital counseling is it helps you identify areas where you have conflict in advance. And so you can work on these issues before they become issues. Things like finances, parenting, division of labor in the house. Premarital counseling is so worth it. So three bits of wisdom. Let's review. Three bits of wisdom for finding an awesome mate. Number one, look for somebody who makes God number one. Number two, look to those who love you for confirmation. And then number three, look to God for guidance. If we go back to this love story, it is saturated with prayer. It started with, with, with prayer. Eliezer prayed to find the right person. And then when Eliezer thought he'd found the right one, he prayed for confirmation. And then after he was sure about it, he continued to pray for guidance throughout the whole process because prayer has a way of aligning our hearts with what God's already doing in our lives and in the world. And in the world. In James chapter uh, 1, he writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, and that's something I've been guilty of many times, here's what you do. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's an amazing verse if you think about it. God's got wisdom for your life. God's got wisdom for every area of your life, but he's not going to force it on you. You have to ask for it. And so just like Eliezer, ask God for wisdom if you should marry. Ask God for wisdom to find the right person. And then ask God for wisdom to confirm it. And then continue to ask God for wisdom because next to your decision to follow Jesus, this is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And so saturate this process in prayer and ask for wisdom. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, all right, sounds good. I'll pray about it. I'm fine with that. I'll pray about it. But how will I know for sure? My experience has taught me to not do anything until you have peace in your heart. Marnie and I have, have made this our practice. Whenever we make big decisions, buying a house, having kids, making a financial commitment to a generosity initiative like Unfinished. When it comes to big decisions, we pray for peace and clarity. Philippians chapter 4 tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Look at this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I wait on the peace of God. And when we both have it, you know, that's a green light. It's a go. And sometimes the peace and the answer will come quick. You know, like it did for Eliezer. He prayed and, and boom, you know, here she is. Perfect wife. But other times the answer and the peace in your heart takes a long time, like it did for Abraham. Here, here he was, an old man, thinking that God might, he, he might never see the answer to his prayer. Isaac might never find a, a wife. Either way, keep praying and waiting for peace in your heart. You know, I love that we took time today to talk to single people who want to find an awesome mate. But the truth is, we're all in this together. That's why we come together on the weekends to stay close to God and to be part of fulfilling his mission in our lives. It's just that we're in, we're in different places. We have different questions and and, and struggles in different seasons in life. But for those of us who are single and waiting, maybe you're asking, will I ever find someone? 
for those who are dating and worried. You might be asking, what if I make a mistake? And those of us that are married, we, we struggle from time to time and ask, are we going to make it? But the truth is, whether you're single or married, all of us are on the same journey to make God number one and to help each other. And you know what? In a sense, I believe there really are no single people in the church because there are no spares in the church because we're all connected in one family. We're all brothers and sisters in God's family. That's why we share communion each weekend to remember what Jesus has done to unite us as a family. And so I'm going to pray for us before communion. Our communion's open to anyone who accepts Jesus because we're all part of the same family. And I want to invite you during the next few moments to thank God for what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us and pray that we, we would all make God number one in your lives. And during communion, as we, as we pass the trays, I want to invite you to pray for the people next to you, the person on your left, the person on your right. Pray that they make God number one and that, and that their relationships become all that God wants them to be. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, for his amazing love in our relationship with him. Thank you for communion that reflects his love and how it unites us together as brothers and sisters in one family, your family. God, in these next few moments, would you make us aware, aware of your presence already at work among us, whether we're seeking a mate or content in singleness or in a marriage already. God, may you be number one in our lives and in all that we say and do. Would you bless our efforts to make our relationships all that you want them to be. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.